0: I'm going to read some scripture this morning, and after I read that scripture, I think it makes good sense that um, two people, and I already have one picked out, would give thanks this morning uh, for something that's going on in your life. And so first I want to read this scripture to you. It sets up the scripture that we'll be preaching. But this is a Thanksgiving feast that's occurring here this morning, so I will begin and Luke chapter 15, and I don't have my glasses, there's no way I'm going to be able to read that, but I can read this on the screen. Let's stand together as we read this, this scripture together. And then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to to be in want. And then he went, and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent his own into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he rose and he came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. You may be seated this morning. What a great day of Thanksgiving, coming together, the lost son, and, and they would come and they would celebrate much like probably some of us will do on Thursday, sit down and have a great feast there together. So two things. Carrie, I want if you would, come forward. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I am grateful. Let me just add the third. I'm grateful for Ryan. You know, if you know who Phil Collins is, he's like Phil Collins back here. Playing on the drums and leading—he's that's that's a talent that not everyone possesses. That that's uh, unbelievable. Yes, come, Carian. You don't want a mic? Well, come on up here so that they can see you at home. I'm
1: not good at this, y'all. Some of you may not be aware of the flood that occurred at my home on October 11th this year. But today, I would like to thank everyone here. This- There are three of us with this flood that three, three of us down in this little valley that the flood had affected. And both of my neighbors only had themselves to get through this. But God gave me my church pay. I had one neighbor come and tell me, there have been so many people that have come by to look. And then they say, well I'd like to help. I then they just leave. But you, my church
0: family, y'all have helped, and they noticed. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Glad to be able to help. One more person. Would you come? And now that I've asked you to be on stage and hold a microphone, the number of people willing is probably smaller. If you don't want to stand to the microphone, you could stand up where you are. But one more person, well, maybe could give some thanksgiving this morning before we continue in the message. Amen our district super, p- superintendent Pastor will talked a little bit about gratefulness last week, and I'm going to continue in that theme of gratefulness and what it means to the human condition to be grateful this, being thankful is not exactly the same as being grateful. and some good testimonies that are that are here this morning uh, i i don't know but if do many of you know who Dr. Pohl is? Dr. Poe, okay. Maybe animal plant or something. But he is a rural vet in, in Michigan. And he's kind of known for his rudimentary ways of doing things. And it's, it's quite interesting. But I'm hooked on him. Um, if I don't have anything that's going on, I'll just put Dr. Pole on. And he goes around and to all of these places and works on cow. He works on every animal you can possibly imagine. But he goes to all these cows. But, but there's, a, there's this recurring theme. It's not on purpose. I just see it. In this idea of gratefulness, especially for these animals, you know, that that many times people are going to eat. Uh, many times they're, they're, they're pets and different things, and it's funny how he treats them all. But this idea of being grateful for the animal, um, something that we probably are a little separated from because we don't raise our own food. Um, you know, we see them in pastures and we just think, oh, there's four, I'm, I'm glad they're there, four-legged animals, I'm glad they're there. But you know what? When you are around them and you appreciate them and you, and you recognize how to keep them healthy and all these things, there's this idea that, that you, you're grateful for the animal and you really appreciate ultimately the sacrifice that they pay. I, I want to get into that a little bit. Um, I like this illustration that I've used before, but a woman was visiting some people who lived on a farm and she noticed there was this pig that was limping in the backyard. It had a wooden leg. And so she said, well, what happened to that pig? And that farmer said, oh, Betsy, that is the best pig we've ever had. We are so grateful for that pig. One night the house caught fire and she was oinking so loud that everybody got up and we were saved from that fire because of that pig. We love and we are grateful for that pig. And she said, that's really something. She said, but that's not all. She said, one day my youngest kid fell into the pond and Betsy came running to the house oinking and got our attention and we went out there and we caught our daughter just before she drowned. This is a wonderful, wonderful pig. We're so grateful for this pig. She says, well, that's really neat, but I don't understand. Why does she have a wooden leg? And the farmer said, well, when you have a pig that special, you don't eat them all at once. I guess that's a form of gratefulness, right? I'm just a little bit grateful, you know. We're going to go a little slow and give you a little bit. I don't know if that's really gratitude. It doesn't seem like that runs very deep for me. But I want to ask you this morning about your gratitude. Just how deep does your gratitude go? How deep is your gratitude towards God and the things that you have and been blessed with? How, how deep is that this morning? I want to continue this passage of scripture because it's a great passage that all of us love to see that son come home and the father is so welcome and it's a great time of rejoicing and they have a feast. It is a wonderful, wonderful story, but we very rarely read the next passage that goes on beyond that. And so I'll draw you back with glasses thanks to Ryan. I'm grateful for you, Ryan. You don't have to walk around with a peg leg either. We really appreciate you. Luke chapter 15, beginning in that next verse, which is 25, and so they're all there. The son's been lost. He's found this a wonderful time, and it says, now the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music, and he heard dancing. And so he called one of his servants and asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry. It would not go in. And therefore his father came out and he pleaded with him. And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgress your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat. And I might have made merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, and killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. This, is, this, is, this smacks me right in the face, because I love fairness, and I want to make sure that everyone is treated properly. And I, in this story... I am the brother, the older brother. I am the older brother who says, this is not right. Now, you can look at me in downtrodden eyes and say, you bad pastor. But this is my natural state, and I need God to help me, and he has helped me. And he's still helping me. This is such a great day. The commotion he hears as he's coming off he's surprised that his baby brother, who has been a the scoundrel of all scoundrels, has participated in every possible sin, has lived a terrible life, has spent a fortune already and and, and he 's come home and everybody's acting like nothing has ever happened well on the surface, everyone should be happy here, right? You get to see your brother you haven 't seen him in a long time he 's lost he 's gone now he 's back it's all good. But the truth is, the older brother had really decided he didn't ever want to see him again. I don't care if I ever see my brother again. He's as good as dead. Come to think of it, the fact that this brother even had the nerve to show up here again is disgusting. Negative feelings are all inside of him. It is very clear. He basically told his dad, consider me dead. Give me my my, uh, inheritance now. I'm gone. And he runs off. He lives this reckless, irresponsible life. How could his dad consider through himself throwing a party for the bad child? The one who didn't deserve anything. The one who's been good never gets a party. But the bad one gets a party. What is wrong with this picture? And it's more than he can stand. That brother is, is really, he just he's had enough. I'm not even going inside. I know that's a wonderful feast in there, and I'm hungry. I've been out in the field, but I don't want any of it because my appetite is gone. It's repulsive. No part of it. And he refused to go in. He refused to welcome back his brother. And then something happens. So the dad is just really super happy, perhaps the most happy he's been In his life. And he looks out through the window and he can see his older son out there. And he sees that he's refusing to come in. And so he steps out and he wants to talk to his older son. And he's pleading him, pleading, Come on in. Join us at the table. Make this a joyous celebration. Let's come with great thanksgiving. And no doubt the son is if you've ever experienced that kind of built-up grief or anguish, and it just comes pouring out all over his dad. All this emotion, all these feelings that he's held back. The resentment, not just for his son, but also for his dad, for what he's doing. For not giving him the proper treatment, but giving him something that he doesn't deserve. All this passion just spills out he has wasted his life and you act like he's the most important thing in this earth he doesn't want to share one thing with his brother i've already shared and he's already taken it he didn't get any more he's a loser the last thing he wants to do is have a party here is the underlying question That exists for him, but it exists for all of us today. Because this smacks me in the face and smacks everyone around if you really want to take this appropriately. Here is the question. How can a blessed person become so terribly ungrateful? But pastor, or I say, it's not fair. It's not fair. How can a person who has such blessing be so ungrateful? How is it possible that we have so much and we get so mad because something didn't go our way and it's just so, it's unfair? How can we be such a blessed people? And believe me, if you even sitting in this congregation this morning, you are blessed regardless of what's going on in your life. How can we as a blessed people be so ungrateful because things didn't go the way that we wanted them to and there's some sense of unfairness in the world and somehow we just are disgusted? How can blessed people be so ungrateful? And you know I'm talking to myself this morning. If anyone should be absolutely contented, shouldn't it be this older brother? He has all that he could possibly have. He has everything around him. He has lived a life that has been a blessing to his father and to himself and to to God. He He has the life, but he's ungrateful. Look at that interchange that happens between the father and this son. It's, it, it's, it's, you, can, you get to the point of what's wrong here. You get to the point of what's wrong. It's that he's viewing things from the wrong lens. He is viewing things from a very selfish idea of what he needs and what he wants and what is valuable to him and doesn't really care about other people. Look at the thing. The first thing the older brother does, he talks about all this time. He talks about, well, you know, I'm keeping track. I'm keeping track, brother. I know when he went off the rails, and I know when he came off the rails. I know how much money he's lost. I know how many years he's been gone. I am keeping track. I got a list, and I'm checking it twice. And I'm making sure that I know everything that person does wrong. I want you to know we do that if we allow ourselves we will have our own way of viewing things. And we begin to look and say, I'm better than them because, because they did this, they did that. And you know what? He's tracking everything. Behavior. Because the reality is this. This brother is entitled. What do you mean he's entitled? He's done all the right things. Well, guess what? You could do all the right things and not have a wealthy father and not have a dime, and not have anything that this guy has. He has come to the conclusion that it's mine, and you can't take it away, and everything, he is all about himself. He is entitled, and we, in America in particular, have become entitled. This is what I get. This is what you get. I got a text this week, and I thought the text for elections were over. And oh, good gracious, I got to calculate and January 5th is a long way away and all of these texts. And I was reading that text as it was encouraging me to vote for one of some senators. And in that text, he was telling me about all that I could get and what I should be entitled to if I would vote the right way. That's what we've built in America. We tell you that you're, you, you get all this and that's what you deserve and all these things. I want you to know something that we really don't deserve a single thing. That whatever we get is just whatever, whatever God actually gives us. But somehow we've come to the place that we are entitled and this guy is entitled and he's upset because his entitlement might be taken away. He's not grateful. He was possessions blind. He saw all that his brother had done, but he could not possibly see all that he had. His perspective was viewing out there rather than seeing what blessings he had had. In my grandmother's funeral, I told this story that my grandmother, as far as I know, never had any money. And she lived in the same house for 65 years. And that house is an old farmhouse, and it is rickety, and it is falling down. And and as far as I knew growing up, I thought she was rich. I thought she was rich because she was always giving She was just giving. And now look at her she had nothing. She had absolutely nothing, but she had this sense of gratefulness and how she wanted to give it away to everybody. And so I thought she was rich. I think most of the world works opposite. We want to hoard it all so that we can be rich. And then we want to say, well, you did your own thing. You can't have any of this. He was possessions blind. He had everything, but he was upset that he didn't have more. He was upset that somebody else would get more than he got. You know, the Bible has examples of that. And David. David has everything that he could possibly have. And you know what he does. He's up on the balcony, up on the rooftop. And he looks and he sees Uriah's wife. He has everything already. But he needs, but somebody's got something that he doesn't have. Look in 2 Samuel. He can not even, 2 Samuel, um, the twelfth verse, reading two through four, David can't even see that he's possessions blind, that he's after all these things. But then Nathan comes to him and says, let me give you a little parable so you can see this. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb which he had bought and nourished, and he grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup, and it lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. David had everything, but he could not see that somehow what he had was not enough. He was ungrateful. And this is a man after God's own heart. And so lest you think that you are not the older sibling in this situation, I'd like you to think that even the people of God can be the older sibling including your pastor. Because I want to make it all right. But he can't see what he has, the blessings, because he can only see what somebody else has got that he doesn't have. What a terrible way to live, guys. What a terrible way to live. The older brother had everything, but he still like he needed something more. Plenty of people miss what real happiness and gratitude is, not because they haven't found it, but because they haven't stopped to enjoy it. And appreciate it. So a philosopher wrote a book, and, and some of you may have, have heard it, but in this it's two brothers, Cineas and Pyrrhus. They intend to go to war against Rome. And it says he asked his brother, he says, Sir, when you've conquered them, what will you do next? And he says, Sicily is near at hand and easy to master. And when you've conquered Sicily, then we'll pass on to Africa and we'll take Carthage. And when they are conquered, we will, what will be the next attempt? And he said, then we will fall upon Greece and, and Macedon and recover what we've lost there. And then when, we've, when all are subdued, what fruit do you expect from your victories? And he said, then, then we'll sit down and enjoy ourselves. And the brother says to him, sir, can't we just do that now and forego all those other preliminaries? I'm one who always wants to be striving for something more and to do something better, and to and I'm not here to tell you that you have to stop that. But I'm going to tell you this: if it causes you to be ungrateful, that you can't really see the blessings that you have. If it causes you to always strive and think that when I get that, then I will be happy, there is a problem. There is a problem even in the church world today where we think that the next thing will get us what we need, whether it's a program or whether it's a building or whether a certain number of people that we can get, then then we will have made it. As opposed to saying, look at all the blessings that I have. Look what God has done for me. I don't have to have another thing, and if I died today, it would be okay. The younger brother has learned it the hard way, gone out and lost it. He has learned the hard way. What true riches are, because he's made poor decisions. And he says that I've made poor decisions and I've brought poverty on myself. What standard do you use to determine your blessings? One morning after a terrible snowstorm, Susan was outside shoveling her driveway and she stopped to wave hello to her neighbor and he asked her, Hey, why isn't your husband out here helping with the chores? She explained to him that one of them had to stay inside and take care of the children. And so they drew straws to see who would go out and shovel. And the neighbor said, I'm sorry about your bad luck. And Susan said, oh, don't worry, I won. (laughs) There was a third piece of this thing about this older son. He was relationally distant. He described his brother as that son of yours. Was it motivated out of resentment or arrogance? I'll tell you the truth. When my children don't behave correctly, I often tell my mother, "Your son, your daughter," and she gets mad at me. But I, I, it's just it's my way of distancing myself, as though I'm innocent, <laughs> and they've done wrong, and you're to blame, mom. I, I, I have doing it, but you know there is a little psychological thing that's going on there. Making me feel better about myself somehow, some way. And that's what this. He's like, I'm distancing myself from you. You guys are against me. It's not fair. That's what happens in our lives. We draw lines. Politics really brings it out. We draw lines, and we put ourselves on one side, and we put everybody else on the other side. And we become distant, and that's when, in some sense, we begin to lose that gratefulness for what God has given to us. The father had to remind him, son. You were always with me. He took for granted that he lived on his father's farm. But because he was distant, he never really understood his father's heart. He couldn't understand his father's nature. He couldn't understand how his father could have joy in the midst of what he was going through. If we really want to find, and this is, again, I'm I'm just preaching it myself, thankfulness and gratitude, you do have to draw close to your father. You have to not run. And when those questions are hard and you say, why God, why? Why? I often have to ask God, to reveal to me and help me see. And often the why becomes because looking at everything else as opposed to just looking at what God has given and been so grateful for. The reality of this situation is as we get so upset. I get so upset because that that... that son had squandered everything and I began to use my weights and my measurement based upon behavior, based upon money, based upon blessings, and I think that all those things are what matter. And I want you to know that ultimately, that money, those things, they go away. And if we're using the things of the world to say that we're blessed, we're in trouble. And when they fade and when they go away, All of a sudden, what are we grateful for? Nothing, because everything that we valued is gone. The father says, that's not what's important. The father ends the discussion with these words, it was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. What should that mean to the older brother? And what should it mean to us? If we're unable to share in the joy of our father's heart, something is wrong. A king was said to have suffered a terribly painful sickness and his advisors told him that his only cure was to locate a contented man and ask to wear his shirt night and day and you will become contented. Immediately, the king's messengers were sent through the kingdom to look for such a man to bring back his shirt, and months passed, and finally all the messengers returned. They were empty-handed, and the king asked, exasperated, Do you mean to tell me there was not even a single man in all my realm who was content? The messenger replied, We found only one such man in all your realm. Then why did you not bring me his shirt? And he said, Master, because he doesn't have one. Look at the beginning of this passage of scripture I didn't read. Luke 15. And what happened here is, is God is, Jesus is beginning to tell parables. And this is a parable. But what he says right before all the parables, he says this. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, This man receives sinners and eats with them. It is the context in which every other parable in this, thing, in this chapter happens. He says that those sinners, the ones that you think that are so bad and you can't stand and they're disgusting and they're evil, he said those people are the heart of who God, what God wants to bring back. Those people, that's the reason I'm telling you this story. I'm not telling you because of how bad you may feel. I'm telling you because those people are important and they're worth investing in and they're worth engaging in life in. I'm not saying that you go out and participate in all the sins that they Participated in, but the story is told this way that they are important, and I'm going to invest in them. And when they come home, we're all gonna have a party. But I've been good, I've done right. Why do we party for them? The party's going on already. It's just a little extra excitement here. And so when we look at this passage of Scripture, we have to recognize, if you are one who is, quote unquote, in the house and safe and has done all the things that you need to do, and I hope that's the case, and I hope that it's true and not something of your own making because this older brother it was, he did it because it made him feel he was even important. If we don't have that deep understanding, we can never possibly be grateful. And if you have lived that life, be grateful that you haven't had to experience those things that make life so difficult. It's the prodigal-like people that flock to Jesus. Why? Because they are really thankful that even though they've done wrong and even though life has been hard, that there is a God who loves them. And that's the kind of people that we're called to be. The older brother finds the sight offensive. In arrogance, we can be blinded by our own achievements or our own possessions or our own relationships. Consumed by wanting more, never really stopping to say, thank you, Lord. No room to love because we're too busy keeping a record of rights and wrongs. Do not let ingratitude rob you of your chance to get in sync with the heart of God, to recognize that the blessings that God has given you. I love the song. We haven't sang it in a long time. We never really sing it to musicians. but There's a roof up above me. I've a good place to sleep. There's food on my table and shoes on my feet. You gave me your love, Lord, and a fine family. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. This is a Thanksgiving season. It's not just about saying what we're thankful for, but it's being grateful for who God is, our relationship to him, and all the blessings that we receive. And regardless of what's gone wrong, and things have gone wrong, my life is not perfect. I wish that if I could go through and change a lot of things, I wish I could. But I can't. But I'll tell you what, I am grateful I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for what God has given. I am grateful because I recognize I could never do enough and I could never keep enough records and I could never say that, oh, now I'm happy. I am just thankful that someone loves me and cares for me and wants the best for me. And that is God. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, no matter what's going on, God says, let's throw a party, come home, be together. This is what's important. I pray that's the thanksgiving that you have, understanding that God sacrificed his son for you, that you might have a relationship with him, and all the things of the world would fade away because they're just not important. Let's stand together. Father, the story is intense and real. And as I told the people this morning, God, it, it's difficult for me sometimes to, to extend that grace when I see such flagrant behavior. But God, you haven't called us to be that, wrong, that keeper of rights and wrongs. God, you've called us to recognize that we are blessed. And Father, I pray that you would instill in us the sense of gratefulness that we want others to be blessed too that we want others to participate in this and ultimately the whatever we can gain or hold on to is just not worth it. God, help us to have the heart that you have. Change us into your likeness. Help us, Father, to see things help us to take the pressure of the world off and just revel in the fact, God, that you love us and we're so grateful for that. Help us to be your people, God, I pray, in this Thanksgiving season. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.